Hey, it's Dr. G. And whether you've been a longtime listener or you're new to the podcast, welcome. Have you ever felt like you wanted to start over or reinvent your life? If so, I want to invite you to tell me all about it. I really need your advice. And to reward you for your time, I'm going to be choosing nine listeners to join me on a free one-on-one relaunch game plan call. This call is designed to help you get clear on your specific goals so you can relaunch your life. To join in and be eligible for the free call, go to discover.drgordon.me. That's discover.drgordon.me and answer all the questions. I look forward to reading your responses and talking to you soon. Thanks for your help and thanks for launching your life with me. Hi, and welcome to the Launch Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. I've just entered my fourth year of podcasting, and I want to let you know how much I appreciate you spending time with me every week. I've morphed this podcast from focusing on menopause and its associated problems to drilling down into how you can fall in love with your life one habit at a time. And while you've probably heard a lot of how I got here through the interviews I've conducted, What I want to do now is let you know who I am and what exactly happened to get me here. You see, back in 2018, I wrote over 60,000 words of a memoir, and I've just let it sit on my shelf all this time. I haven't worked on it, and frankly, I don't know why. But today, I'm dusting it off, and I want you, my listeners, to really understand where I've come from and how I've relaunched my life over and over and over as I've dealt with trauma, adversity, setbacks, and surprises. It's win-win because I'm going to have a published memoir by the end of this series and you get to hear it first in serial fashion. Now I'm going to tell you my life story. It's full of intrigue, sadness, patriarchy, adversity, and triumph. And every time I thought, this is it, the universe has shown me how I can repeatedly relaunch and love my life. I hope you can find some inspiration as we go through this series. As always, I welcome your feedback. Feel free to email me, Dr. G, D-R-G at drgordon.me, D-R-G-O-R-D-O-N.me. And if you're ready to love every second of your life, let's set up a relaunch game plan. Simply go to relaunch.drgordon.me and book a relaunch game plan call. For the latest episodes, go to launchyourlifepodcast.com. And if you like the podcast, please take a moment to leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. So I'm just going to start at the beginning. Uh, I was born in October of 1964 in a college town where my father was getting his PhD. I'm the third of four children. And my mother was just 22 when she had me. Two years later, she had my younger brother, and she had four children under eight at age 24. It was hard being her daughter, and for many years, I held a lot of resentment toward her. Now, I'm in my late 50s, and I look back at my mother's life, and I wonder how she did it. Children aren't born with an instruction manual, and we are destined to repeat the behaviors modeled to us as we grow up, unless we consciously choose to change. It's not her fault she didn't have good behaviors modeled to her, and I don't begrudge her anymore because she was escaping her own form of trauma when she married my father. Anyway, after my dad completed his studies, we moved to southeastern Washington State. 
It's a bleak desert landscape with more tumbleweed than people. It was discovered by William Clark of Lewis and Clark in 1805. This desert land had long been used by three different native tribes, the Wanapum, the Walla Walla, and the Yakima at a village formerly known as Chimna, but is now Columbia Point. Incorporated in 1910, the town was a sleepy agricultural hamlet nestled between the Columbia and Yakima rivers. Irrigation made farming possible, but trade was almost impossible due to lack of railroad access. As late as 1943, my hometown still had only 247 residents. Then the U.S. government bought up the entire town and miles of the surrounding area for a secret government project to build the atomic bomb. The clean, cold water of the Columbia River served as a cooling agent for nuclear fuel. The relative desolation, isolation, and arid climate made it an easy government target. So the government condemned more than 1,100 houses and paid the owners the appraised value. There were some complaints about that. While the residents supported the war effort, the scope of disruption came as a shock. Most of the original residents moved out, but the government built homes at a brisk pace to house the workers in their secret initiative. Over the next 18 months, over 16,000 homes were built. Now on August 6th and 9th of 1945, America dropped atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan, ending World War II. This is when the residents of the new boomtown of Richland, Washington found out they were instrumental in helping to end the war. The plutonium for the Nagasaki bomb was manufactured at their new Hanford site. Now I go into all this history to tell you the draw the place has for scientists. After the war ended, Richland continued to boom and this, to this day is a premier location for top scientists in the country. When my father completed his physics PhD, he took a job at one of the think tanks in the Hanford area and moved our growing family to the southeast corner of Washington State. The next year, in 1966, my younger brother was born and we moved from a busy street where one of my older brothers had actually been hit by a car to a cul-de-sac close to the Catholic Church and the public high school. Now, I often refer to this home as the house of many horrors. And I'll be telling you about as many of them as I can remember in the upcoming episodes. But I want to preface this all by saying that I'm not telling this story to sensationalize, glamorize, any of that. I'm telling my story as I remember it. Having said this, I know memory is faulty. And what I remember may not be what others remember from the same period. But this is my story, and I'm going to tell it the best I know how. So when we moved to the cul-de-sac, I was about three years old. And shortly after moving, we took a family trip to my mother's hometown of San Diego, California. And my very first memory is holding my mother's hand at Disneyland while the Yeti was making scary noises from the Matterhorn ride. And I was begging to go on the colorful spinning teacups. And my little body was trying to drag my mom over to the teacups. Now, as the day progressed, we went on the Haunted Mansion ride. And this ride gave me nightmares for several years afterwards. I dreamt of these scary blue-gray monsters flying up in the sky in front of me. And I'd wake up anxious and afraid while it was still dark in my new room. 
And maybe it was a combination of the stress of the move and the visuals from the ride causing my night terrors, but I realized that the Haunted Mansion was the cause of all of my childhood nightmares, at, at that time anyway, uh, when I went to Disneyland again in my 20s. And what happened for me was the recognition removed even the fear of memory as I was able to fully rationalize what my three-year-old brain was trying to figure out. But back to the house on the cul-de-sac. There was a tree in the front yard and I loved climbing trees, but one time I got stuck in it and everyone made fun of me and I had to figure out how to get down. We also had rolling hills in front of the house and concrete steps that created a walkway up into the house. And when I was about five or six, I took a handheld weed trimmer to the steps, one of those ones with the clicky things. And I was gonna clean it up and I intentionally put my left thumb in the blades. I'm not sure why I did that. I still have the scar and I'm lucky I didn't chop off my thumb. My younger brother and I would take the legs off of daddy long leg spiders to watch them wiggle and kind of seem alive, even though they were disembodied. I see this as cruel now, but I remember our father showing this as some sort of a trick. And I was always fascinated with science, so I used a magnifying glass to focus the sun onto paper to make it burn and sometimes the odd ant. I used magnets in the dirt to collect iron filings and clean them obsessively until no more dirt was present. As a tomboy, I played with trucks, I climbed trees, I got dirty in the mud or muck with abandon. And I always wanted what my older brothers had. I see it as privilege now, and then it seemed that they were favored. So I did what they did and played with their toys because I wanted to be treated the same. I wasn't. I was about five or six years old the first time I remember being the object of a man's sexual perversion. In this case, it was my grandfather. Now, my grandfather had a huge cattle ranch in Northeast Washington State on the Idaho border. And when we went to visit as a family, it was so much fun. There was a stream behind the house where a trout ran and the land was rugged. I have fond memories of the ranch when we went with my family, my mom, my brothers, my father, and I loved it so much I begged for months to go by myself. I thought I would be able to play outdoors, run, fish, help my grandfather milk the cows and my grandmother make meals. This was a pipe dream though. I'm not really sure why my parents let me go. Maybe it was my unrelenting asking. I recall a deep desire to go by myself and asking my brothers if they wanted to go by themselves too. So I went and the day was fun. But the next day I screamed at the window until my dad came. Now, of course my parents and my grandparents just thought, well, my grandmother anyway, just thought I was homesick. I was, but only because I had been assaulted while I slept. Turns out my grandfather was a pedophile and he not only abused me, but his now deceased daughter and my deceased father. He was a real piece of shit who called his wife woman and truly only thought women and girls were there for the service and pleasure of men. More on this to come, but interestingly, even after they moved from the ranch, I became physically ill every time we visited the house for the rest of my life. And this was the first time I had to relaunch my life. It's not unreasonable for a child to expect to be safe in the presence of their grandparents. I wasn't, and I had to adapt to protecting myself as a child. Of course, no one actually ever asked me or my grandparents what happened. And my brain did its job and buried 
the facts of the encounter until I was about 19. Imagine my surprise and relief at realizing it wasn't me. Unfortunately, this was the first of many traumas of my young life. Now, again, I'm not telling you this to sensationalize or to get sympathy. I'm telling you because it happened. And without these experiences, I would not be who I am today. It took a long time for me to realize that while things happened to me that were out of my control, I have the power to decide how I want to respond to them and how I choose to allow them to shape my life going forward. My five-year-old self relaunched by walling off the memory and my adult self relaunched by letting go of being a victim. Next time on the Launch Your Life podcast, I'll continue the story of my childhood. And if you like this episode, please subscribe so you won't miss any episodes. And also please leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. If you're ready to relaunch your life, I invite you to book a call with me at relaunch.drgordon.me. See you next time.